This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Hello and welcome to yet another edition of Bridging the Gap. I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule or busy day or on your ride home to join me on this journey that we're going through of helping to bridge the gap where we're looking to help financial advisors and the entire advisory industry really bridge the gap between where the industry and our business is today and where our industry will be in the future. That's still the goal of Bridging the Gap. We want to stay up with the trends. We want to talk about the innovations. We want to talk about other ways of thinking that are outside of our industry that maybe we can apply to our industry and hopefully provide us an ability to continue to grow and evolve and innovate in the years to come so that we can provide our clients the most value, the most services, and the best client experience possible. And I started Bridging the Gap because we wanted to take the experience of sitting in the seat of every financial advisor. I sat across from clients, helped to build financial advisory firms, and I wanted to create a voice in a community that strives to create positive change for this industry and continued progression, right? It's not staying still. Let's continue to challenge ourselves to grow this industry, to innovate, to think differently, and not get stuck in our ways, all with the goal to better the clients and serve more clients. And the way that I thought we could do this was build a community where we have industry professionals sharing thoughts, sharing ideas, sharing challenges, and coming together and creating a community that we can all grow and build together, where we're not afraid of of sharing what's going on because we're doing it for the benefit of the overall good of this industry. And that's what I hope that Bridging the Gap can bring is some of those ideas and, and thoughts and concerns. And the way that we build community is to have more people a part of the community. That's the ultimate goal, right? More people, more views. And sometimes you're not going to agree with the views that we have here on Bridging the Gap, and that's okay. But please share those. Let's have a discussion and let's learn. Let's be curious about why we're thinking about one thing one way or the other to help us all become better. And the way we can do that is to continue to get more and more people part of this community. So be, please, please, please be sure to share the podcast, Bridging the Gap, to like it and to subscribe to it and, and send it to one friend maybe this week just to help them. Maybe it can be a benefit for them as well. And so the more we can get into this community by sharing, liking, and subscribing to this podcast, the bigger and better this community will be and the better impact and the larger impact that it will have on this industry. So please, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe, share, and continue to listen. So thank you so much. And we're, this is a fun episode. I'm really excited about it. And and I always like to start with you know some things that are on top of mind that lead into the the subject that we're going to talk about today. And you know, one of the books in my digital library, so on my Kindle and I listen on Audible, is a book called Payoff by Dan Ariely. And it's a book about the logic that shapes what motivates people, what shapes motivation. And and Dan Ariely is one of the brightest minds in behavioral psychology out there. And one of the most well-known people that, and I respect everything he's done. I've read all, a lot of his articles, many of his books, and I'm always intrigued by the work that Dan uh, and his team do. And and while reading this book, I, I looked back at some of the articles that I had saved in my Insta paper and, and looked at what were some of the topics. I just want to kind of refresh some of the things that I looked at. And, and three stories stood out to me uh, from this one article that I think relates to what I want to talk about today, which is very simple. The advisor is never going away. It's very simple what we're talking about. The advisor is never, never, ever going away. And Dan Ariely, I think, has a lot of points, and I'll I'll continue to talk on them. But I think that there's really three main points that stood out, three studies that he did. And the first is about how humans are irrational, right? And this concept of relative thinking. So the the study was that they looked at, you know, they, they talked about the idea that as a human, 
if we were to go to a store, let's call it a Walgreens, and we see a pen and it's going to cost us $25, we really want it. What we tend to do is that we would look on our phone and see if that pen is in any other stores and maybe the price is less. And maybe we find that there's another store 15 minutes away that has it for $7 less. We would go and drive 15 minutes to save the $7 on that pen. But if we were now in a Brooks Brothers or a Joseph A. Bank or whatever it may be buying a suit and the suit was $400, we don't tend, even if there's a store down the street, maybe a men's warehouse that has the same suit for $7 less, we're not going to go drive 15 minutes to save $7 on the suit. But the thing is, is that's what shows your rationality. We're saving the same dollar amount on each of those, but we're able to take the, we want to take the, the action of driving 15 minutes for one of them as opposed to the other, which shows that we are irrational and it comes naturally to all of us. It's relative thinking, right? The $7 value on 25 is a higher percentage, but we never really think in percentages in any other life. It's just a, it's a relative nature. But then with the suit, it's still $7. $7, no matter whether we save it on $25 or we save it on $400, is $7, which shows your rationality. So I thought that that was really interesting. We'll, we'll dig into that in a second here. And, and I think it leads to a lot of, of humans' behaviors and how we deal with our financial situation and, and how we deal with our investing and financial planning. The next study is about humans and focusing more on what we have than what we could have. And the focus of us making decisions based on what we might lose as opposed to what we might gain, right? The, the fear of loss or the, 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 the impact of a loss tends to always be so much greater than the joy and the benefit of a gain. And Ariely and Carmen uh, conducted an experiment on, on Duke students, and it's all about basketball, right? They, they, these, these kids sleep outside for basketball tickets and waiting to try to buy them for the big game in Cameron Indoor. And they're the Cameron crazies, I think is what they're called. So even those that, uh, that who sleep out are still subjected to a lottery at the end. So you sleep out and you're still in a lottery. You just may get a better position in the lottery. Some students get tickets and, and some don't, right? We all know that. The students who don't get tickets told Ariely that they'd be willing to pay up to $170 for tickets. The students who did get tickets told Ariely that they would, wouldn't accept anything less than $2,400 for the tickets. The gap between the two is so large. And there are three fundamental quirks uh, here on human nature, right? We fall in love with what we already have. We fall in love with what we already have. We focus on what we might lose rather than what we might gain. And we assume that other people will see the transaction from the same perspective as we do, right? If we're looking to buy the tickets and we're willing to pay 170, we're like, they should see that that's, the, that's a fair price. The price of the ticket's 35. I'm willing to pay you know, five times that for the ticket. Like, they should see it that way. And then when they tell you that, that it's 2,400 that they want, you're like, whoa, that's so crazy. And I see these same concepts, right? The, the, the idea of what we focus on, what we might lose, we fall in love with what we already have, and just the difference in, in investing, right? We like to hold on to our gainers, right? We don't want to sell things that are profiting because it's doing too good. Why will it ever fall, right? But we would rather sell things that have lost in value. Let's get rid of that stock that's down 10% or down $2,000. Let's just get rid of it. It's a dog, right? Even though it may be able to come back, it may have better upside than the one that's gaining. We, we, we fall in love with what we have and the gains that we have and are unwilling to, to part ways with that 
and we and we'd rather sell those things that aren't doing well because of the fear of, of additional losses. This one's lost, and so it's going to continue to lose. Right, the fear of losses and the over exuberance of gains, which goes just against traditional investing theory. Right, we we want to buy low and sell high, which means that you have to buy things that haven't done well and you sell things that have done well. But in reality, people they want to buy things that have done well and sell things that haven't. It's just a flip flop. It shows just human nature, irrationality that we have. And the third is about the power of price. And, and this goes to my underline of why advisors should continue to be around and continue to charge a fee that they are, right? This is about the power of price and how the price of something drives the perceived impact and value of that product or service. Ariely, Wabershiv, and, and Carmen made up a fake painkiller called Validone RX. And they had an attractive woman with a in a business suit with a faint Russian accent. And, and she told subjects in the study that 92% of patients receiving VR, or Valadone RX, reported significant pain relief in 10 minutes. And it lasted up to eight hours. When told that that drug would cost $2.50 per dose, nearly all of the subjects reported pain relief. Okay, that's impressive. That's great. When told, though, that the drug cost 10 cents per dose, only half of the subjects reported pain relief. The more pain a person experienced, the more pronounced this kind of this the effect was. And there's a similar study done in, at the University of Iowa showed that students who paid list price for cold medications reported better medical outcomes than those who bought discount but clinically identical drugs. So what does this say? This is why advisors are not only valuable because of everything from a psychological and investment mentality and an economic understanding and, and handholding and, and servicing. But the perception of value is seen in their fee and advisors that are lowering their fee are hurting themselves more than helping themselves. Realize your value every single day is the good that you do to navigate families through their financial journey and helping them overcome psychological challenges that are irrational that we've just shown time and time again. So you got to commit to your value, find ways to enhance your value, and clients will be willing to pay for it. They will see the value in the fee, not in what you have to say. They will see value there. They put a higher value on that. Yes, you have to provide, you know, you have to provide the services. You have to execute. You have to follow through on what you're going to say, of course. But if you do all that, you don't have to lower your fee just because there's competition in the marketplace. Fee lowered shows a lower sense of value that they should be getting from there. So let's dive into this a little bit more, right? Dan Ariely, go read some of his books, read his articles, extremely brilliant mind uh, and just fascinating. This behavioral economics kind of trend that is just evolving here is, is amazing. And so what I want to talk about today is the three main reasons why, and you can see them a little bit up there, why the human advisor will never never ever go away in this industry. And computers will be more and more complement to the work that an advisor does, not a, not a replacement. Technology is going to be more and more necessary for advisors, and it should never be seen. The advisors that see it as a complement and look at themselves as bionic, as opposed to a fight between who's going to win this industry battle, the ones that see it as bionic and a complement are going to win. The ones that want to fight are going to lose in that situation. So here are the three reasons. Humans are irrational. Money is emotional. Humans are willing to pay for help and guidance and all of the above. 
Okay. So some people say, well, advisors are going to go away because it costs too much. No, no, no. That's not going to happen. Nope. 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 Humans are willing to pay for it. And I'll show you here. So the earlier examples show that we as humans, all of us, even as advisors, are irrational, right? When it, especially when it comes to our own selves and our own emotions. But we make assumptions and plan for our clients based on normal expected theories, normal expectations. You know the normal bell curve, right? You got every, you, know, you got 67% in this, like, in this one area and then you got your tails and everything works on a normal bell curve. That's not how life works. That's not how humans make decisions, but that's how we build financial plans. That's how we build our, 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 our theories for people. And we got to change that. And the only way to do that is as a human having oversight and adjusting it based on the understanding of the individual because technology and models are built on this normal expected theory, right? And so computers and technology build out these models that are based on that rational decision-making, but humans don't follow rational decision-making as we know and as we showed here earlier. Thus, they will be providing insight, but the the, the human, us, will, will not be able to follow it because we don't act rationally. As much as we want to try to, we just don't. And that's okay. We just have to accept that and then figure out how to handle human behavior. So that means that humans are needed in order to interpret the information analyzed and recommended by computers and be able to explain it to a human and client and, and be able to adjust it as needed as, as situations evolve, as mentalities and perceptions and, and situations change the human advisor is needed to help the client. Communication methods work differently for different clients and empathy and understanding human actions is a skill that humans currently have and technology doesn't. And it's going to be really hard for technology to understand empathy and be able to, and be able to do that. And the way that you communicate, some clients want to just be told straight, you know, don't do this, do this. Some want to be told stories. Let me tell you about Jimmy John and everything of that nature. Some you know, some you've got to just kind of nudge a little bit on their way, right? You got to be stern, but, you know, loving. And you just got to understand that. And you just got to understand each of their clients and what makes them tick and how you can see the future of where they need to go and be able to effectively negotiate with their emotions, negotiate with their emotions to help them get to the financial plan that you know they need to, which if you just gave them the financial plan, they're not just going to go there. They're going to weave, bob and weave, and they're usually going to get off track. But with you, as a human advisor, you provide the guardrails to navigate them via negotiating with their emotions to help guide them to the journey and ultimately to the to the peak of their financial life that they want. The next concept though is all around is all around money being emotional, right? The story about holding gainers and not wanting to sell them but wanting to sell the losers is just this, right? It's emotional. I'm tied to Home Depot and it's up 400%. Like I don't want to sell any of it. And then the excuse is I don't want to pay taxes, but you know, well maybe Home Depot's going to fall a little bit. Well, I, it's still you, you, it's just, it's emotional. You get an emotional connection to these, these stocks. You get your irrational in terms of your thought process because of our fear of losses, right? If we take that, we now have a potential fear of, of a loss going into something else while this has such a gain. It's just a difficult emotional battle and humans have to help navigate that for you, right? That's why psychologists are so important to business leaders and to individuals just to navigate their emotional minds and have someone to bounce it off. And that's what an advisor is. And so, you know, the money being emotional, there's really four emotions that drive many of the decisions. And not everybody has to deal with each of these, but there's always a little bit of, I, I think that there's a lot of 
individuals that have a little bit of each of these emotions, right? Maybe one is more pronounced than the other. And the first one usually is the most pronounced, right? It's fear. We've talked about this uh, a lot. And and the emotion of fear is the fear of, of losses, right? We the, the impact of losses, but it's the fear of not having enough money, right? The fear of looking stupid and asking stupid questions, looking as if you're stupid for starting late in saving or, or having so much debt or not knowing what an IRA is, the fear of being exposed or humiliated. This fear drives emotions in how we deal with money, right? It, it, it keeps us away from you know, going and getting advice. It keeps us away from taking action or it keeps us from staying true to a plan, right? And the source of fear and anxiety around money, right, is rarely about the facts or reality, but instead is the result of our projection into the future. So you imagine all of these horrible things that will happen if X or Y doesn't change. And to escape that scary future, we all take action that you hope will prevent from that imagined scenario. So for instance, you know, if a stock is down, the fear of it continuing to go down, oh my gosh, if it goes down, I'm going to lose all this money. I'm going to lose $5,000, right? So I need to take action today because my perception is that this is going to continue to go on forever. I can see it's going down over the past 10 days and it's going to continue in the future, which means that I'm going to have $0. So I need to take an action now, which isn't necessarily the best action, right? The best action is to hold, let it recover, understand what is what what is the fundamentals of that company and what's going on in the market and and will it bounce back or is there is there material risk but usually we just look at it oh it's down it's going to continue to go down i don't i'm going to lose and have nothing and and that's a perceived future and so you want to you want to skate that by taking action today to make you feel better and more comfortable so fear is a major one guilt is another one this one is a is a little bit less like in in many individuals but but it does show up in many of the clients that i've i've talked with and some of these feelings are having more than your friends, right? You, you think about Matt. That, why would I feel guilty about that? But there is a guilt there, right? There's a guilt that you know that you that you you're doing other things and maybe your friends aren't. And yes, you love it, but sometimes you just there's a guilt factor there. And there's also this guilt of not having been particularly charitable, or or you've had money come to you easily, and so you don't feel worthy, right? In in guilt means that you're going to take some different financial decisions, right? Because you're trying to offset that emotion at times. And and sometimes people, this leads to giving more money than is truly rational, right? They they try to make up for their guilt by just being really generous and giving money. And, and they try to rid themselves of that feeling or emotion by going overboard. And that just leads to making poor financial decisions that are more meant to help you overcome the emotion or the internal struggle as opposed to provide the benefit that savings and wealth are meant to provide. And, and so what I mean by that is, yeah, yeah, it's great to be charitable and it's great to give. And you're like, Matt, why is giving more a bad finance? Because it could set you up for hurt in the long run, but it may not be the best way to, for your whole financial situation, from a tax planning situation, from an estate planning situation, there may be other avenues to, to, to go about and helping with that to impact more people as well. And so there, it's just a, from a holistic financial plan and the impact that you want your money to have both on your family and on others, there's be, there may be better ways to do that. So it's bad financial decisions. The fourth is, or the third is shame, right? And some of these feelings are, I don't have enough money. I'm a, I've avoided thinking about my finances for so long. So like, I'm shameful of that. I'm ignorant about all this. I don't know what's going on. I spend too much. I buy stuff when I'm unhappy, right? When you go to a financial advisor and you get financial help, you have to expose that. At times, if you truly want help, you have to expose that. And so people are shameful. So like, I'm going to avoid this, right? I'm going to avoid I, I, scenarios that make me feel shameful or bad because I just don't like that feeling. Nobody likes that feeling. And so when it comes to finances, this is a vicious cycle. So people are like, all right, next year I'll do it. Maybe I'll make better progress. 
but then the next year they're still shameful. And so it's a vicious cycle that just continues on that leads to delaying and taking action to then ultimately, hopefully people come to their senses and say, all right, I need help now, but it's usually too late and they want all this help. And so if they would have just started earlier and overcome that emotion, they would have been able to make better financial decisions in terms of their situation. And so shame plays a big part. I see that a lot, right? People come in, they're a little bit embarrassed and, and, and you just have to help them overcome that. But that is a, an issue that, that tends to cause you know, financial decisions that if you don't have a human to help them overcome that, they're not just going to go to a computer and, and do it. Maybe they'll be a little bit easier to put it into a computer, but they still may not take action because they need help getting through it. And then the last one is envy, right? This is the one we all see, keeping up with the Joneses, right? This can go, you know, this is the idea of trying to spend more money to be like what their friends are. And this can go two ways. One is that we, we try to be more aggressive and try to make up because we believe that other individuals that we know have more money than us, right? So we, we were like, well, they have so much money. Look at their house. Look at all their cars. But we don't know how they bought their cars. We don't know how they bought their house. We don't know how much money is in their bank account. We just assume. And they're always probably telling us, our neighbor, the Mr. Jones that we're trying to keep up with, about their great stock investment that they made. But they don't tell you about the 10 other ones that they were terrible on. And so we try to catch up. Or the, the other aspect is it. So then we, take, we become more aggressive by NB, right? We, we, we want to catch up to Mr. and Mrs. Jones. The other is that we may believe that we have the same amount as them. Because maybe they live, you know, they live this lifestyle and it's like, hey, we like they're doing the same job, like we drive the same car. And so we try to live the same lifestyle. So then we're spending in the same way. They want to go to, you know, Turks and Caicos. And so we're like, all right, let's go to Turks and Caicos. But they may actually have a lot more than us. And so we try to keep up with them and we make bad financial decisions because we're focused on envy in them as opposed to focus on us and what we need as a family in our own financial situation. And so all of those four emotions need to be guided through and handheld and helped to overcome in some way. And the way to do that is with the human, the human to help understand the fear and where that is, help to understand the envy that's just showing up, help to, to rationalize the guilt and, and, and know what to do about bettering the situation to overcome that emotion and how to not be shameful and how to have that conversation and how to break down those barriers. That's done by a human. And so they all cause anxieties that we, we, we avoid and anxiety causes us to avoid situations because it makes us feel better just to avoid it as opposed to taking it head on. And, and a human is needed to help these help individuals take that head on. And so the more that we can get in front of more people to help them understand the, 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 the emotional and the psychological benefit of an advisor, the more help we're going to be able to provide out there. And for us as an industry, we have to help people overcome these challenges, which means that we need to spend more time understanding our clients. We have to understand what makes them tick. Which of those emotions? What's their background? What's their upbringing that may be driving some of their decisions? Not not just their financial decisions, what they're holding in their IRA and their Roth, right? We have to understand the person, which means that we have to take time. How do we help them overcome their emotions? And, and so we have to find ways to have more time with our clients to help them overcome those. And, and then the last thing is, 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 so we've talked about humans being irrational. We've talked about human emotions. But then the final thing is, is all of our clients are willing and wanting to pay for the service we offer. You know, the drug study saw that, right? They wanted to pay for the one that was the, the sticker price. They were okay with it. It made them feel better. The one when it goes down less, yes, they still bought it, but they didn't feel as good. They didn't get the effects, right? Even though it was the same drug, their thought of the effects wasn't as good. And so they perceive value based on price. And so do individuals in this industry. And so to all those people that say that clients aren't willing to pay a 1% fee are wrong. Right? Study after study shows that clients are willing to pay that. Will other pricing models come about? Of course. 
is the 1% model going away? Maybe, but I don't think so. Other pricing models are going to come along, but I'll tell you this, that people today and people in the near future are going to be willing to pay for the 1%. And it's shown there was a price metric study. And what the study looked at was it looked at two sets of advisors. The advisors, one group of advisors lowered their fee. And what they were trying to figure out is the growth of these advisory firms by AUM, by client per advisor, et cetera. And so they looked at, they bucketed the advisors, one set of advisors that lowered their fees, the other set of advisors that kept, maintained their fee or increased it. And what they found is that the the advisors that maintained or increased their fee saw greater growth in both AUM and clients per advisor relative to those that lowered their fee. And the reason is, is because lowering your fee is just an open invitation to show your clients that you are not valuable, that the value you provide is not worth what they have been paying. So it makes you look that they've gotten ripped off. And so what we have to do is, yes, if you're going to charge a fee, you can't just charge a 1% fee and not do anything for your client. You better strive to provide services. You better strive to provide increased servicing and value. And you better continue to be able to find a way to communicate that value to your clients. Because yes, people will leave, but they will likely go to another person that charges a 1% fee, but they are showing their value and providing and delivering on those services. And so people will be willing to pay for their service. And as you can show them and navigate them through their emotions and help them see progression and wins and stack those wins on top of each other as they climb that mountain and push that, as we sometimes say, that peanut up the mountain towards their financial, their financial peak, they're going to start to continue to see that. And you have to do that by, and the way that you do that is not by just telling them. You, you, you do that by, as I, I call, is negotiating with their emotions, right? You negotiate with their emotions and you help them see that they're making progress uh, and they're battling their emotions without you saying, hey, you're, you're envious, so we got to stop that. No, 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 no. You got to communicate and make small decisions to help them build that and they'll see that over time. And so those are the three real kind of ways of why an advisor is never going away. And and, and, and advisors, what we need to do is that we need to find a way to spend more time with our clients. So clients being irrational, there's emotions involved with financial decisions and, and, and clients are willing to pay for it. If we know that, then we need to find time to spend to figure out how to best handle that. And that takes time to deal with emotions, to to help overcome irrationality, right? That takes time and we got to find a way to be spending more time with our clients. And the second takeaway is that technology innovation should be looked at as a counterpart as opposed to replacement, right? You see why an advisor is never going away. Okay, that's great. But this world is becoming more and more technologically advanced and digital forward. And so as an advisor, we, we've got to find ways to say, all right, we aren't going away. Technology is not going away. How can we have technology better help us be better at what we do. And that's to eliminate menial tasks. That's to provide reports, to help us do analysis, to crunch numbers so that we can digest it and communicate it effectively to our clients. And the last takeaway that I want you to have is you are valuable, financial advisors. You are valuable. Don't ever forget that. And don't budge on your fee. Clients value you. They value your relationship. They value the advice you give. They value the direction you give. They value you. But don't let this make you complacent, okay? Don't let this idea of understanding that you are valuable let you become complacent. Always find ways to free up time for you and your team to provide even more for your clients at the same price. Find ways to provide more at the same price. That's the ultimate goal. You are valuable, but don't be complacent. That's a takeaway. And so some actions that I think that can always take away from this is, is look at, look at your, your technology stack today, right? 
let's try to find a way to blend that our value and technology's value. Look at your technology stack, your CRM, your portfolio management system, your custodians, et cetera, and determine two tasks that you and your team are doing today that you want to automate, that you want to automate, that you want to stop doing. And go and leverage the resources that you have. Use your tech consultants at your custodian to help strategize how to do it. So say, hey, Mr. and Mrs. ABC at XYZ custodian, I really want to automate these two tasks. Here's my technologies. Do you know of a way that I can integrate these technologies to maybe eliminate parts of these processes or these tasks for me? And have a strategy session with them. Think strategically on that. And they're there to help you. They see it time and time again. And they will help you solve those problems. The second takeaway or action that you can do is what is one piece of information that you could start to gather today that you may not be gathering and you can store it in your CRM that would allow for you to better understand your clients, to help you be a better psychologist to your clients. Maybe it's, you know, what did their parents do growing up, right? What was their profession? Because maybe that tells you a lot about how they act, right? What is their perception of their childhood, right? Maybe you can put that in there because that can help you guide them in understanding what's going to make them tick. When something happens in the market, it's going to make these people tick more than these people, right? Which then allows us to communicate and send communication and, and emails and, and letters and notes and videos and calls to these clients more so than others, right? What is that one piece of information that you can add, start adding to start understanding your clients a little bit better? And then third, share your value to your clients and don't shy away from the psychological aspects. Share this in your story with prospects and clients. When you're talking to a prospect and they say, why do you charge that? Let them know. Share stories of how you negotiated with emotions of other clients, how you helped them overcome some challenges. Yes, you helped build a portfolio that was stable, but don't rely on, well, my average annual return is X or Y at Z. Chat, talk about the stories, the emotional, the empathy, the, 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 the navigation, the negotiation that is done on the benefit and the behalf of the client to help them in their journey, where you've succeeded, where you've learned and where you've overcome. That's the value that people are going to connect with and they're going to see and they're going to be like, that's what I want and I want to be a part of that. And so don't ever shy away from that. Don't ever shy away from the psychological aspects. A lot of people tend to lean on all of this, the market and the portfolio construction and the asset allocation and all that which is great and it's needed and it's part of the job 100%. And it's what we are good at as advisors. But don't shy away from the psychological aspects either. And so I'll close out with one of the best investors around, right? Warren Buffett, the Oracle of Omaha once said, I will tell you the secret to getting rich on Wall Street. You try to be greedy when others are fearful and you try to be fearful when others are greedy. The secret in investing is so easy to find and so simple that the Oracle of Omaha was able to provide this secret to the world about creating wealth in one single tweet. In one single tweet, he was able to provide the, 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 the secret to creating wealth. Yet, individuals and families are never able to follow his advice, despite its simplicity and his resume of success. I mean, the Oracle of Omaha is only worth you know, over about $76 billion with a B, billion with a B. But even despite the simplicity of it, we are not able to follow it as investors and as, as, as individuals. And investors continue to ride this roller coaster of emotion and where we buy at the top and we sell at the bottom. You've seen the diagrams and it's always true. I show it to all of my clients and prospects. Boom, 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 boom. The markets are going up. You buy, you want to buy here. Like, I don't want to miss out. Then it's going down and you're like, well, I'm going to sell and you sell near the bottom and then it goes down a little bit more. You're like, thank goodness I sold. And then it starts going back up and you're like, well, I'll wait till things settle out. And then you buy back at the top. It happens time and time again. If you haven't seen it as an advisor, 
I would just be keeping an eye out for it more and more because I'm sure you have seen it. You just may not have paid attention to it. It happens time and time again. And so this isn't one person's perspective, right? The Oracle of Omaha, Warren Buffett's mentality is, yes, he is one person, but it's proven to work. The most successful investors have shown the ability to stick true to this philosophy. And so no computer nor AI technology will keep humans from, from continuing this trend, right? There's no AI or technology that's going to tell humans not to stop doing this, right? Because human emotions are going to overcome, and that's what drives people through this trend. The only way out is to leverage AI and technology that can predict when maybe a client's going to do something and combine it with the human to help focus on the psychological aspects of holding their hand while making that decision to keep them from making the poor decision and help them to make the better decision. The handholding, the combination of the two is what is so key to help the advisor really, uh, to help the client get through these decisions. So it's a blend. The human advisor is never going away. This is a philosophy and emotions and irrationality that is neat, that is so common in every single person that in order for us to overcome it, there's a human that has to be involved, which means that the human and technology are going to play together. And the human advisor just really is never going away. Again, I really appreciate y'all taking time to listen, to join me here on Bridging the Gap. It's been really a pleasure talking today. And, And please share the podcast, subscribe, let someone else, let me know what you think. If you disagree with me, let's talk it through. I am open. I'm curious to understand others' perspectives. Let's have a conversation. Let's build this community. Let's better this industry together. Thank you all so much. Have a great rest of your day. And uh, we'll, we'll talk again very soon. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think.